our podcast. So if you want to help support sanctuary.org, you can go ahead onto sanctuary.org, the website, check out all of our information, check out our mission, check out our programs, and then consider making a monthly donation to the Memorial Fund to help fund the or run the organization to help us provide programming, to help us continue educating our community, and to continue the, the work that Sanchia did when she was alive in caring for and about people with developmental disabilities and youth in residential care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Straight Independent Radio. We're sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and sanchia.org. Check us out on the web to find out all the great things that we do with people with disabilities. I'm joined today by my colleagues and co-hosts, Liza Citron, future special education teacher and autistic disabled self-advocate. Also joining us is Scott Davis, disabled advocate, speaker, writer, and entrepreneur. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. And today we are going to be talking about one of our sponsoring organizations, Sentia.org, also known as Sentia A Calendar, Inc. Sentia.org was founded four years, almost four years ago now, upon the death of my sister, Sanchia, who the organization is named after. Part of our mission is to honor her legacy of service to people with developmental disabilities. Now it's starting an organization from the ground up by myself. It was a, it was a bit of a challenge, a bit of a learning curve, but it was important to me to continue the work that she did in advocating for people with developmental disabilities and making sure that their needs are always met. Now, Liza and Scott, you two have come alongside me in in the last year or two in working on the organization and our initiatives and our programs. So what first drew you to wanting to be part of Sanchia.org? Besides, you know me and, and I'm awesome. <laughs> I can go first. Well, obviously there's the fact that I knew you as a family friend. You know, when I heard about this, I first heard about it in passing. I'm like, oh, she's doing this. So Sam basically said, uh, hey, would you be interested in doing this thing for us? Would you be interested in actually, you know, talking to people about how to do these things in education from a disabled perspective, et cetera. At the time, I had absolutely no idea what that was going to entail, but I said, okay, um, really depends on what it's going to entail, but I'm, I'm, I'm game, fine. And so I started working with the sister organization, Neurodiversity Consulting, and it went from there. We started with articles, Q&As and the like during COVID. And now we're doing what we're doing now, which is hopefully in the future, a larger focus on live events that unite the community and really focus on advocacy 
for the developmentally disabled individuals in the community. So, so what about the mission of the organization drew you to drew you to wanting to be a part of it? What made you say yes when I asked you to be part of saintchia.org? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, there was partially just it being you. And honestly, if you if you told six years ago or seven years ago me or that I would be doing this alongside you, I would never have believed it. But for all my life, I've been trying to figure out, okay, I can take pride in my artistic identity partially, but what is the point? What does this not give me, but what can I make out of it? What can I do that neurotypical people might not be able to do with their experiences? What can I make out of this that brings meaning and reason and all of that sort of making sense of your disability, why exactly you are, why exactly the things that happened to you happened. And in my case, I think that a lot of the things that happened due to the fact that I was autistic, whether in the home, in school, etc., essentially led me to be able to better advocate for other autistic individuals now and be able to hopefully teach better in the future. So it really became an issue of, okay, what meaning does this give? And how can I use what I've been through and what initially so many people may think over the negative, how can I embrace my identity and use it to do something to, to, to relate to others who go through what I go through or to advocate for those who are going through what I went through but do not exactly have the capacity to advocate for themselves, whether due to age, lack of access to speech, et cetera. Listening to you speak, it sounds like that what drew you to the mission was that opportunity to use your autistic experiences to help create better experiences for people with developmental disabilities. Yes. Yes, so and I think that being part, I think that being part of this organization has in a way helped me embrace some aspects of myself that I wasn't exactly willing to before because I, though I was diagnosed as a kid, I didn't even know really what exactly autism was because I wasn't around other autistic people. I didn't know what it was like as a community, what it was like apart from the negative medical framing with which I was raised. So I think that not only has it, has my reason been to, you know, take this and see, okay, how can I use it to help other people or, or, or make something good out of it, but also 
this actually helped me, even though I didn't know it at the time. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Liza. Now, Scott? Yes. I want to ask, I want to ask you, what drew you to say yes when I asked you to be part of the organization? What drew me from it, thank you, is, is just the uh, general conversations that we've had part of it, like when I was at the airport and we just chatted briefly. Because I was just drawn because I, I saw your some post about neuroplasticity, I forget exactly what it was. But then just, and there's still other things that like making books or something for churches. There's other things that we talked about that would be good to spin off. But I, I just, from hearing about your sister and your family, I almost feel like I'm, I'm part of your family. I only wish I could have met your sister. She sounds like a wonderful individual. And basically I, uh, for a long time, volunteered within the Kennedy Center which is for the intellectually uh, challenged or disabled people. And th they have a, a large focus on residential care. And that's how I was drawn in to the organization. And that led, has led to lifelong friends and myself as an advocate. Hmm. So that's, those are, and also my background within the disability and having experienced disability for 58 years. So that, and I would love, finally, I would love to have had the opportunity when I was a teenager to have an organization such as yours, which would have been very helpful because in the schools, they didn't have a lot of teachers were caring, but they didn't really have like an office for disability. And I would love to have had that. Well, and that to be fair, it's not like they do now either, but that's another story. Well, and I that's... really need to clarify. Mm -hmm. uh, in just that intellectual and developmental disability can overlap, but are not the same thing. Just making sure the listeners know that. Yeah, might not otherwise. Regular listeners certainly know that. And Scott, your experience <laughs> speaks to why we work to develop better resources and to educate communities and create programs that serve the needs of people with dis developmental disabilities and youth in residential care. Now, but Jeremy Pierce, PhD, my husband and fellow autism parent, has joined the chat, folks. He has joined the chat, and uh, we'll be we'll be getting getting some thoughts and opinions from him about the organization and about Sechia Calendar that we named the organization after. So. I want to talk now about some of the initiatives that we're working on, some of the programs that we have, and why those are important. Um, in particular, I want to talk about the Autism Mental Health Initiative, because that's a big part of what we're doing right now, is advocating for better mental health services and resources specifically for people with autism and related developmental disabilities. Liza, I'll start with you. What do you see as the as you know the the importance? How would you describe the importance of the autism mental health initiative that Sanchia.org has started? Mm -hmm. Well I am on the board of that suborganization. So I've recently been doing 
a lot of statistics research, policy information. We know that around somewhere around 75% of autistic individuals, specifically autistic children, are diagnosed with a mental health condition. And somewhere around 40% of those, uh, around 40%, not of the previous number, but of autistic children are diagnosed with one, more than one mental health condition. So because of this, this means that autistic people will naturally be overrepresented, i.e. there will be a higher prevalence of them than there would be in the general community in mental health wards, psychiatric floors, that sort of thing, whether inpatient or outpatient. And we know anyone who lives in Syracuse and has been trying to get mental health services knows that even for neurotypical individuals, the mental health services in central New York are ill-equipped to deal with the needs of the people they're treating. Now, this is a pervasive problem most places I've heard of, but it's especially severe in Syracuse. And then when you add developmental disability on top of that, which whether it's the, the individuals you're talking about don't have access to speech because most of psychiatric treatment and, and other mental health treatment is spoken conversation, you add potentially another barrier if the provider is either unwilling to attempt alternative methods or is unequipped to attempt those methods, i.e. little to no training. I have some personal experience with this. When I was in my early teens, I was dealing with the onset of a few different mental health conditions, namely depression, anxiety, PTSD, that sort of thing, which I still do deal with now, but that was the onset of it. As such, I was in and out of psychiatric emergency, emergency treatment, but because it wasn't quite emergent, I was sent home very often. I also had trouble you know, pinpointing, okay, what exactly is going on with me? How exactly am I feeling? And that's something that's common in the psychology of a lot of autistic individuals. I was privileged in some ways. I had access to speech. I was able to talk with the psychiatrist doing intake. I was able to do these things. There are a number of individuals who are not, especially children, and they have to go very far to find proper treatment out of state, some even halfway across the country, I've heard. And that's because there isn't really the equipment right now to deal with the mental health needs of duly diagnosed individuals, i.e. individuals diagnosed both with autism and another and a mental health condition, which again is incredibly common in autistic individuals when compared to the general population. Mm. It's around 75% to 25%. Yeah. So both from my experiences, 
which are the reasons I got involved in it, to the research that's been done, providing services to autistic individuals for mental health is incredibly important because unfortunately, we've seen what can happen when that goes wrong. We've seen it nationally and we've also seen it more locally with the death of Judson Album in the beginning of this year. Uh, Judson Album was sent to the psychiatric emergency program. He was autistic. He was also dealing with other mental illness, dealing with mental illness in general. He was sent to the psychiatric emergency program. He was sent home prematurely and his mother ended up calling the police during an, during an interaction with him and he was shot and died. So we've seen what can happen when the system is not equipped to handle the needs of autistic individuals and their families and just the differences that come with autism, whether that's lack of access to speech, mental differences, that sort of thing, lack of ability to pinpoint exactly what's going on. Like I said, I dealt with. That's why this is so important. We need proper treatment if we are going to be able to live our lives to the fullest. And we want to. And believe it or not, our lives can be pretty full if you actually treat us and listen to us. I want to get to the, the purpose of the Autism Mental Health Initiative. <laughs> and our purpose is to enrich lives with better mental health care success. Because we don't have good access to resources because the services that would benefit people with disability, developmental disabilities, and especially youth with developmental disabilities, they aren't there. And so part of our initiative is to call our lawmakers to the table to have that conversation about this is what the problem is, and these are the solutions that we need. Which we just did yesterday at the time of recording. Yes, we've already We've already talked with several legislators here in New York State, and more coming up. And we have more coming that we're going to be talking to. And it, it's this in one conversation was wow, this is a heavy. Someone said this is a heavy lift, and yep, yeah, we know it's a heavy lift. That's why Sanctuary.org is coming alongside families who've been struggling to do this by themselves. So that we can all lift that heavy load together. Exactly. So and that's just proof that and that's just proof that it's needed. Yes. And if you want to learn more about our autism mental health initiative, just go to sanchia.org, S-A-N-C-H-I-A dot org slash programs. And you will find the pro a lot of the programs that we work on, including the autism mental health initiative which is the one that we're focusing most heavily on now. Another program of Sanctia.org is this podcast, the Life Fantastic Podcast. And this podcast was a brainchild of mine because as a parent, as I was looking around the, the autism community landscape, 
I was seeing a lot of non-autistic people driving the conversation about what autistic people need. And looking around in the disability services world as well, I saw a lot of non-disabled people making decisions and driving the conversation about what disabled people need in their lives. So I thought to myself, you know what? We really need to have disabled people themselves driving the conversation and telling their own stories. And because Sanchia.org, we had already done a project where we did a mini documentary called Life Fantastic, which was about, which highlighted my family and two other families in the central New York area, highlighted our struggles with accessing appropriate mental health care for our, our children. And so like Fantastic, the podcast, Exploring Disabilities, became a thing. And of course, I connect my colleagues, Liza and Scott, to be part of that conversation. And also my husband, Jeremy, who's been very quiet. Honey, are you there? <laughs> who has, okay, who has experience as a parent, as someone who's in an intimate relationship with someone who has a developmental disability, that would be me. And also his, his critical thinking skills. He's a philosopher. His job is to think all day and to teach other people how to think. Oh, Jeremy, I want to talk to you a little bit about the podcast and why you said yes when I told you, honey, you have to do this podcast. You mean the, the entire podcast <laughs> or this episode? The entire podcast. We won't talk about, <laughs> about the conversations that led up to this episode. So <laughs> the, the um, remember it, you, you, um, wanted to do a podcast on disability issues and asked me to lend my voice um, in the ways that I'm informed about those issues, um, which I, I do have thoughts on and haven't had a whole lot of chance to express them in various ways. Um, so I've, I've long wanted to participate in the philosophical conversation about disability, but because of our the, the current employment situation I'm in, I'm teaching at several different colleges um, without a full-time position at any of them. It makes it harder for me to contribute to the academic discussion because that typically is people who have a full-time position at one place and they give them time as part of their position to do research. So uh, this does give me a chance to comment on these issues in a way that I don't get to do so in an academic career. And uh, even though I'm, I'm paying attention to the, um, the conversation that's out there, there isn't really a, uh, a way for me to, to have been participating in. So I'm glad to, to be able to talk about these questions and the ways that I've had experiences that, that have led me to think about them and the the ways that my reading and understanding of the philosophical conversations about disability can inform what the podcast is talking about and all that. So I think that's been a good experience for me. And I think it's been, um, it's added a, 
a little bit of a different side to the conversation than what it might have been otherwise. And Scott, how yeah. about you? What is your participation in the the Life Fantastic podcast, this very podcast, been like for you? It's been an awesome experience being able to read about the different cases of mental health and some of the uh, experiences that two different families, because when I listened to the uh, documentary, I was really shocked by how you, just a simple thing as, as milk or guarding the milk or guarding the eggs or just making sure a iPhone isn't baked. <laughs> little, little adventures that you go through. I'm kind of glad I'm not part of that kind of drama, but still I can see just from your perspective, a little bit of the drama. Then I hear about different other experiences like the family of a, the two-year-old that was denied access to a museum because of not being able to wear a mask. Little things I never would have thought of or learning about the ADA or, obviously I'll lend other conversations mm -hmm. on that, but then even able to tell my Toastmasters groups about this experience and just being able to share with my family. My brothers listen to it. My mom's listened to some of it. Oh, that's awesome. And Hello, Scott's mom and brothers. So, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, log in from Minnesota next week on my iPhone and then just have that conversation. And then it's just been a good I'll, I'll kind of narrow it down because that's what you're supposed to do with Toastmasters, but it's just basically having that live experience and any of the listeners out there were eventually going to connect with down the road and that would be an awesome thing to then bring them into the conversation too. Yeah. Now, and I want to point out that, Scott, you are someone who has a disability and in the conversation with other people who have different kinds of disabilities, you're learning from us as much as we're learning from you. You have that experience of coming up in the world before the Americans with Disabilities Act was a thing. So um, we, we like to joke a little bit that Scott, you have experience from the battle days and there's, there's so much diversity in the world of disability that we all have things that we can learn from each other. We all have these disability related experiences that are not the same as the next disabled person down the line. And so it's, it's important that we have these kinds of conversations so people know about the diversity in the, in the disability community and so that we can learn from each other's experiences and so that we can help each other grow and achieve our personal best and advocate for the resources that we need. Now, I want to pull this back to what inspired all of this. And what inspired all of this for me What's the life of my sister sent you a calendar? That's why I named the organization after her after she was gone. And she was my best bud. She was my fellow advocacy warrior. 
when things were going hard with the kids, that when the kids were going something through going through something hard, and I was struggling to keep up with them, she's the one I would call. She would listen to me complain and cry and whine. And then I love this phrase that she would say to me, okay, now it's time to put your big girl panties on. And then she would then, we would then strategize about how to deal with the things that were making me cry. We would strategize about how to effectively deal with the things that were making me want to skip flip a table. And she was my rock in that way. She once drove three hours in the early morning to come sit with Jeremy and I in a meeting at the school district headquarters about getting the appropriate services for one of our kiddos. And she was right. She came prepared with all the arguments because she spent her life working with adults with developmental disabilities. And in the latter part, she was working with youth in residential care, some of whom had undiagnosed developmental disabilities, some of whom had mental illnesses. And she was helping them learn how to navigate life as a mental health counselor. And all of Sanchia's work, all the help that she's given me, plus just who I am, drove me, inspired me to create Sanchia.org to help continue that kind of support, to help reach other families, to help, to help be that person who, when people are going to do something hard, they, will, they have someone to call, they have someone who will cry with them, and they have someone who will help them wipe the tears off their face and find solutions to the things that are making them cry. And for me, part of that solution is advocating for better mental health services and better access for people with developmental disabilities. Part of that is creating a podcast where people with disabilities tell the story about life with disability. So Liza, Scott, Jeremy, I just went on a whole rant about Sanchia.org. Tell me, how, how was, you know, learning about Sanchia and knowing about her life, and Jeremy, you knew her personally, how, how does she inspire you as you advocate for yourselves, for your loved ones, and as you work with the organization that bears her name, Sanchia.org? Okay, I'll, I'll start. Obviously, I uh, know her tangentially just from what you've you've said. I not have not seen any videos or photos of her, and that would always be helpful. And possibly we could on the podcast to show some of that, so people can have something tangible because then you know that. But just but obviously with the experience of working within. A residential facility as a volunteer and when I did that I learned about the different struggles with the medicine with uh, their daily programs and how they progressed I was able to get an inside peek of how the different counselors interacted mm -hmm. with these clients and they became friends over dinner at and that's where a lot of the magic happens is over that dinner table don't ever discount that 30 or 40 minutes because that's when people open up 
about struggles and especially with families. Always encourage your family to get together, especially with the disabled and with the parents and with the other children that may not have that disability. And that's exactly what you do as a family is you all gather, the seven of you, whenever everyone can be at the same spot mm -hmm. at in different ways and, and you learn. Jeremy, how about you? Well, yeah, I did know her personally. <laughs> she was heavily involved in uh, our, our lives. Um, uh, there are a number of ways that we didn't actually see eye to eye and get along. We, we, we butted heads about <laughs> a lot of things, but what was evident to me was how much she cared for our children and especially the um, uh, the one child that we have that other family members really had the hardest time figuring out how to interact with and, and how to really include and, and participate and have him communicate. She really worked hard in, in his case. Um, and part of it is she had more training <laughs> to, to know how to do that. But she, she demonstrated her concern for the one member of our family who was the most easily left out and the one who um, certainly had things to contribute and things to say. And she wanted to look for that and make sure that he had an outlet and had a way to, to have people um, hearing him and, and looking out for his interests rather than just making sure he's not damaging anything or or uh getting in the way or whatever so um she very much had a heart for reaching out to including and 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 seeing the intrinsic worth of and value of people who are on the margins people who are not seen by many in society as worth spending time with and, and putting an effort into. And she, she did that with her career and she did that with our children. So I really appreciated that. And I think she cared a lot about getting things right. She cared a lot about learning and understanding and figuring out how to do things that, that will work. Um, there a number of occasions when she would correct other members of the extended family and how they would interact with our children and 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 like they would be complaining about how we do things and she would come to our defense and say no what you're doing is what's wrong and this is why what they're doing will work and what you're doing will not work it will backfire and and um that really was affirming and and helpful to us to to reprimand <laughs> and <laughs> members of her own immediate family <laughs> who who were not being helpful, but they thought they were. And Sanchia was someone who who she absolutely lived the principle of presumed competence everywhere with everyone. <laughs> um, if you were incompetent, you you had to sh before she decided you were incompetent, you have to actually like do incompetent things. But especially with children especially with people with developmental disabilities, she lived presumed competence. She presumed that our kids had thoughts. She presumed that they had opinions. And she presumed that 
we could work with them for them to share what they want, to share their desires, to share their thoughts and share their opinions. Uh, she sometimes reminded me that, no, you don't need to help them. They can do it themselves, <laughs> which was really important which is really an important principle for me in raising the children in, in acknowledging that they have the skills, acknowledging that they are competent and encouraging them to embrace their own competence. Liza, how about you? Being a representative in the professions that she was in definitely is something that I find amazing and incredibly rare. For me, more of the inspiration and that sort of thing, and, and, and the, the amazement comes with, I mean, you, the people I work with, and, and peop other people in, in, in my life. Mm -hmm. But definitely the things that you just said would definitely be things that would make me appreciate everything that she, that she had done. That's, that's fair. You only know her through the impact that she's had on us and the impact that she's had on our children. So like you've met our children in, in various stages <laughs> over their lives. Oh, yes. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of her, her love and care in how they express themselves. Going, going back and thinking about the, the mission, thinking about our mission of the mission of Sanctia.org our mission is to enrich the lives of people with developmental disabilities and youth in residential care. How are we gonna do that? We do it by developing better resources, educating communities, and creating programs to serve their needs. For example, this podcast, which is about educating people about how disabled people experience their lives with disabilities. And it's also giving a platform for disabled people again to tell their stories about their lives. So how do you see us? How do you see Sanctia.org fulfilling its mission? I know that for me, one of the things that I'm able to do here is connect what I've experienced and talk about it in relation to the things I'm learning that I don't necessarily have an opportunity to do anywhere else. Uh, not only am I a, an elementary special education major, but I also have a particular focus in disability psychology and that not a declared focus, but a focus nonetheless. And I am also a disability studies minor. So a lot of the things here that we do and that we talk about allow me to talk about my experiences and possibly the lived experiences of others that they give permission for me to talk about or discussing things with other people, guests, that sort of thing that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise and share my experiences. And perhaps not just on this podcast, but in, in, in a lot of our live events and that sort of thing that we're hoping to resume, to be able to really identify with the community and kind of show people that, hey, you're not the only person that this is happening to. Mm -hmm. I went through the same thing. Uh, I'm going through the same thing. I'm glad that you're there. While I would not want anyone to go through it, the fact that you're there, we can 
you know, go through it together as a community. It really, a lot of the things really allow me to take part in the community and really potentially give to that community, whether in advocacy, uh, socialization, that sort of thing. And one thought that I, that I have, so I don't forget it, is that it would be a bet. I encourage other communities in the U.S. and also if anyone's listening abroad to take that kernel of what Sam and Jeremy and, and their family has done in uniting with other families and support other initiatives. Because if you take that seed and then that plant to another plant, another spot, and these and this great force can happen. So your people aren't scared. So then as more people, and even in the Syracuse community, as more people branch out and develop it in other communities within that area, then it really just becomes such a lush experience. Jeremy, how about you? How do you see us doing with our mission? Well, I think a lot of the intentions were kind of put on hold because of COVID. There was <laughs> supposed mm -hmm. to be quite a lot of, of engagement with the community, and uh, that's kind of ground to a halt. There is an event coming up that, that is in person. So I, I, I uh, yeah, I don't know what, what that's going to look like. And if things get worse again, is it going to go backward again in this region as it has in much of the United States and much of the world? Uh, but a lot of the efforts that are going on are kind of behind the scenes and like reaching out to legislators and, and that sort of thing. And some of that has been able to continue. I think the podcast itself is something that's, as it's been getting an audience and getting a hearing, uh, is doing some good. It's helping people to, to think about some of these issues more fully. It's getting word out about the fact that disability is, or things people should be thinking about if there's not something they're thinking about. I think some of the things that we do is to help people think about them better to, with more factual information to back it up with clearer concepts and definitions and, and so on, just informing people about things. And I think that's been a very good thing that's been able to continue uh, even during this time when there hasn't been as much gathering going on. One different thing is, is because of the pandemic, it might not have happened where we had a podcast. So that's why I think yeah. it's a great. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> the, 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 the podcast the podcast was the result of having to make, of sentia.org, having to make that pivot to be able to reach people when we were all in lockdown. Necessity in our, in, in, in the case of Sentia A Calendar Inc, sentia.org, necessity was the mother of this innovation that we have as the podcast. As you know, any sentia.org, sentia A Calendar Inc, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are always in need of funds to help keep the lights on, to help keep the podcasts going, to help fund the work of advocating for better resources and, and to help fund the work of educating communities. We are approaching a time now where we can go back out into the community again and with people, talk with people, as always, we would love to have your financial support in the form of a monthly donation. $25 a month would be great. If you want to 
help support stgia.org, you can go ahead onto stgia.org, the website, check out all of our information, check out our mission, check out our programs, and then consider making a monthly donation to the Memorial Fund to help fund the or run the organization to help us provide programming, to help us continue educating our community, and to continue the, the work that Sanchia did when she was alive in caring for and about people with developmental disabilities and youth in residential care. Now we are we are about out of time for this, and I have to note that this episode will air the day before what would have been Sanchia's 44th birthday. So I'd also encourage you who are listening, those of you who are listening, to consider donating $44 in honor of her life, in memory of her, and to help further the work of educating our communities, creating life, enriching life experiences for people with developmental disabilities and youth in residential care, and continuing to work on developing the resources that will help make everyone's life better. Jeremy, Liza, Scott, do you have any last comments about Sanchia the person, Sanchia.org, the podcast, or any of the uh, programs and initiatives? I'd say for me, just coming off watching a few, few hours of the opening ceremonies of these Olympics, mm -hmm. it's, it's inspiring. It's bringing the world together. It's having a flag bearer or, or two flag bearers and then having these different experiences of really of going faster, stronger and better. And that's what any of these, uh, whether it's the podcast, whether it's a community event, writing your legislature, these things might appear minor, a, a drop in the bucket, but we're creating ripples. Hmm. And as each of us, even though I'm a couple hundred miles away from you, but I'm still creating a ripple. It might take a little while to get to you, but through this, it is getting to you. It's just getting to you electronically. So we're making electronic ripples. Mm. And those can ripple all over the world. Yes. So I'm encouraged that I'm able to make these ripples and that we're gonna make the world a better place. Yes, I love that. Act locally. Think globally. Thank you for sharing that stuff. Jeremy, Liza? Just that I definitely appreciate the opportunities that being part of this has given me. And I am very, very glad that we are making these efforts to put people who are going through the same things as we may have been through or others who we know may have been through and just to hopefully be a fixture in the community, in the autism community, developmental disability community, and even just the community locally. The opportunities that this has provided and the ways in which we potentially can reach out to others in the community who are going through similar things, I don't think that can be overstated. As Sam said, we need support to do that. Hit that donate button, folks. Consider supporting the Memorial Fund. Jeremy, any last thoughts, comments, memories? Jeremy? 
I think we've lost him. In any case, thank you everyone for being here and reminiscing with me about someone that you haven't met, but you've certainly experienced the impact of Sanchia on our lives and, on, and, and by extension, your lives. So thank you listeners for joining in. You're listening to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Straight Independent Radio. We are sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and by sanchita.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things, if you still have questions, that we do with people with developmental disabilities. And consider making a donation to helpsanchita.org continue to create this podcast, continue to engage people in the community, and continue to work on developing those better resources and services so that people with developmental disabilities and youth in residential care can have enriching life experiences. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. Thank you for joining us.